Hey there, everybody. This is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number three of the Mandolins and Beer podcast. Everybody and welcome to episode number three of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast. This week, Jenny Lynn from Delamay. Great, great conversation. They have an excellent new EP that just came out this year. You should check it out. Uh, you can check out the songs, the full version of the songs on the Spotify playlist that I've got going, the Mandolins and Beer Spotify playlist. The link will be uh, posted on the website. Go to www.mandolinsandbeer.com. Send me a message. You guys have been sending me a bunch of messages. I can't believe how many people have been listening to this podcast. It's, this has been awesome. I'm so happy. I'm, I appreciate all the great feedback and the thank you messages. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, my contact form is on mandolinsandbeer.com. If you want to see me, I'm in Charleston. I have a whole bunch of gigs all the time, at least four to five a week. I think I have nine this week if you're in town. There's plenty of chances to see me. And thanks again to all the people listening. If you are listening to this and you haven't already done so, please hit subscribe. Um, it really helps me get up there in the rankings of all these podcast charts. And let's get into our sponsor this week. It's Peghead Nation. And this works out great because Peghead Nation is actually just launching in September bass lessons from Delamay's bass player. So that's exciting. But anyway, let's get right to it. Mandolins and Beer is sponsored by Peghead Nation again this week. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including beginning mandolin and intermediate bluegrass mandolin with Sharon Gilchrist, bluegrass mandolin jam favorites, and the advancing mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe-style mandolin with Mike Compton, both of those future guests on this upcoming or on this podcast. Um, melodic mandolin tunes with John Reichman, chord melody mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish mandolin with Marla Fibish, and theory for mandolin and fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month free. To do that, just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. That's all one word, no S, MANDOLINBEER. Go there and check it out. It's I've used that. I mentioned it last week. I've used that site for a little over a year now, and the, the lessons are awesome. They're at a great pace. Tabs are easy to download. Um, speaking of videos and tabs, I'm still working on that Patreon page. I should have it up. It should be up uh, Thursday of this week maybe Friday. Just been super crazy with uh, playing music and doing interviews for this podcast and editing these podcasts. So it will be up there. I appreciate the people asking about it. Um, I also appreciate all the people who bought merch. Um, I am almost out of medium and large shirts. I've actually had to place a new order already. So that's that's great news. So thank you guys so much. Um, please follow me on Instagram. If you're on the Instagram, it's mandolins and beer. Uh, Facebook, same thing. And again, just go to the website to check out any dates if you're going to be in the Charleston, South Carolina area. And last but not least, um, as I was editing this podcast, I realized I forgot to ask Jenny Lynn what her favorite beer was. So I messaged her yesterday, and she replied back, it's the Yazoo Pale Ale, which I actually have on draft at the Station Inn, which is where Jenny Lynn headlined on Saturday night. So if you're in the Nashville area, I hope you got a chance to check that out. All right, y'all. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please tell your friends. Keep spreading the word. I really appreciate you. I'm glad you guys are enjoying this. And uh, let's get to this conversation with Jenny Lynn. And now I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Jenny Lynn. Jenny, how you doing today? Doing great. How's it going? Good, good. Thank you for uh, taking the time to be on the podcast this morning. Uh, my pleasure. And you were just I'm telling excited. Me, oh man, me too. Me too. And apparently so is uh so is listener to how great was it somebody on Instagram was like, Hey, you know who you should interview? 
And uh, oh, that was so cool. Yeah, I'm like oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> So that's great. We're on so, it. Yeah, so I appreciate it. Well, I love your stuff. I've uh I've been a fan of your stuff for a long time. Um when I first moved to uh the Charleston area, uh the first thing Eddie White from Owendah Green, who I'm sure you know. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I met him and I was playing mandolin and the first question he asked me was like, "Have you ever heard Jenny Lynn Gardner play? She plays in a band called Delamay." I'm like, oh, "I'm going to have to check that out." And immediately I was like, "Whoa, how have I not heard of uh, of you, <laughs> but it was really, it was just, man, this had to have been like eight years ago now at this point too. So, um, wow. it had been a, it had been a minute since, since then, but yeah, great stuff. So, so for, for anybody who might not be familiar with you, how about, let's start with just a real quick bio. Sure. Um, yeah, so I've been in Delamay for almost 10 years. I've been playing mandolin and touring around the world and in the country with Delamay and have a solo project that I debuted a few years ago. It's my first solo album. And toured quite a bit and played a lot of shows with that project. And I grew up in South Carolina, in Conway, South Carolina, playing music with my family. Oh, nice. My grandmother so you have a, a musical family as well? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So I grew up playing music in the low country with my family. My grandma was a banjo player. My dad played banjo and he bought a mandolin and brought it home. And that's how I started playing mandolin. Oh, that's awesome. I, I gravitated towards the mandolin that he bought for himself. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, what was it that gravitated? Was there anything in particular about it that, that drew you to I it? I don't know. Like, I, I think I'd been playing guitar. I started playing guitar when I was five years old. Wow. And five? Yeah. <laughs> and again, I just gravita- I gravitated towards this small guitar that my grandma, Gussie, the banjo player, she had this small guitar that she had bought at a yard sale at her house. And I gravitated towards it. And finally, I convinced her to give it to me to let me take it home. And so that was that was five years old. And that my dad showed me a few chords and I was playing guitar only until he brought the mandolin home that he bought for himself. <laughs> and I think I was around eight years old when I went and like snuck the man. I snuck into my dad's music room and got the mandolin, took the mandolin out of the case. He was at home. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. My- and I, I played, I remember like being able to pick out a tune on it and just, it was like a light bulb, like aha moment, just being like, I love this. I have to play this forever. And my dad got home. I'm like, daddy, 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 <laughs> look what I learned. Oh my God. That's so cool. Well, you're already a seasoned professional, three years of playing, huh? <laughs> From five on the guitar to, <laughs> to eight years old. You're like, Hey, look at this. <laughs> I don't know. It just came naturally. I loved it. That's great. And yeah. so it was obviously they played banjo. So it was a blue, a bluegrass family. Do you remember like what the first, what the first song that really for you was, was that song that you started listening to? Um, I always loved Dolly. My parents had a trio tape and I think I learned a song off the first trio album was like the first song that I learned to sing and then oh, wow. I learned to play it. But I don't remember. It was so early that I don't remember the first time hearing it, I sure. just, I've always known it. It seems like I had always known it. Um, but then a lot of Dole Austin and Quicksilver and Bill Monroe. Flatten Scruggs, Larry Sparks, Ralph Stanley, the Stanley Brothers. Yeah, the classics. Yeah, the classics. My dad had a, a great album collection, too, and he had a bluegrass band. He had like a five-piece full-on bluegrass band that oh, he wow, nice. played with for years. Yeah. That's awesome. And you have a, yeah. great, you have a great Bill Monroe story, right? Yeah. yeah let's, hear, let's hear that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I got to meet him a couple of times, but the, one, the time that stands out is being at Denton Bluegrass Festival. Um, when I was around 10 or 12 and um, I got to meet him backstage, I came backstage. I had my mandolin with me. I came backstage before he was getting ready to go on stage and 
got to play a song with him and um there were a couple people holding cameras and my dad had his video camera out but my dad documented the whole thing and there was a photographer there taking photos um of it all and one of the photos that he took ended up in the book the memoir um i hear a voice calling wow um, which is the story of a of the bluegrass boys and then the photo all the same photo also ended up in the bluegrass music museum in owensboro kentucky for a while no kidding um but bill was so nice to me and like i said he played as played a song or two with me backstage before he went on stage oh wow and just gave me so much time and let me tell you there were probably a hundred people packed into the room i mean he was a super he was as famous as it comes at at this event (laughs) that's so great he spent a time playing with me and i'll never forget it i bet do you remember the song or any of the songs that you played old joe clark It's just so cool. And that's kind of the theme um, every one of these interviews I've done so far. And the reason, again, I probably people have heard this now probably a few times by the time we get to your podcast, but the community, the bluegrass community and the ability to, to go to be able to see somebody like Bill Monroe, who, I mean, is the father of bluegrass. Right. And as far as mandolin players go, it just was he reinvented the way people play it. And yeah, he takes the time. You know, before going on stage to to sit with someone and play music with them. And it's just the the community around bluegrass is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And you can meet, I mean, aside from people who have passed on, you can really, no matter if you're getting into it now, you have the opportunity to meet your heroes. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And they're all, and they're all every, I can't think of one bad experience with, with, um, you know, talking to people in the bluegrass world, yeah. jamming, asking questions, like everybody is, is really open to it. And you don't find that. And, you know, if I've come from Mm-mm. like a rock background and again, was, I mean, I'm sure there's competition obviously in all, in all realms, but yeah. you know, in certain, you don't, it's certain things you don't want to see anybody do good in like the rock world. Like the minute somebody's doing better, you're like, Hmm, you know, when yeah. in this world, everybody's like, this is awesome. <laughs> totally. Know? Yeah, and it feels more and more and more like that, too. Like, bands are encouraging each other more. Players are collaborating more. And everyone's so outgoing and gracious, so. That's great. Yeah. So then, yeah. so then after, where do you go after playing with Bill Monroe? <laughs> like, how, does, <laughs> how do you then be like, well, now what? Well, at the time, I was so young and eager that I it didn't... I real I know now like how cool that opportunity was and but at the time it was I was so eager to learn and have someone to play music with me that I didn't fully grasp the fact that I was playing with the father of bluegrass music. Sure. So I went back home and practiced more. And That's I remember awesome. going to festivals as a kid. We went to two basically two festivals, one in the summer, one is in the fall, mm-hmm. a year as a family. And I would go and something like that would happen where I would get to play with someone that I looked up to or just in a jam session, but you would, I would come home so fired up oh, and my I mom bet. would have to be like, put down the mandolin, come <laughs> eat, yeah. and then you can go back if you have to eat. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. Yeah. And so then, um, did you start, what were some of the bands after like some of the classic bands? Did you always kind of hang on to that classic thing or did you start? Well, no, I'm like, I've, I've always liked the more modern stuff. Mm -hmm. So like from Dole, Lawson and Quicksilver, um, I liked the Bluegrass album. Oh man, great stuff. in the new south um but my dad and i had a radio station together a local radio show really that we we spun bluegrass yeah for 
an hour on Saturday mornings. And the only time slot we could get was from like 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we'd leave our house. We'd organize all the CDs because you would have to put the CDs in the CD deck. And there was like a there was two CD decks. So you would play the first song and then you have the next CD deck cocked and loaded for the next <laughs> song. By the way, my but dad, we my gonna... dad was a DJ and you were using total DJ terms, by the way, spun and cocked oh. and loaded. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we did this show and he would let me have a segment of the show um, where I got to play what I wanted to play. And he wrote to all of the record labels, Sugar Hill and Rounder Records and, I don't know what else, but he wrote to them and said, hey, I have this this radio show and I would love to get music to play on it. So we got all the music that was coming out, even sometimes a couple of weeks before albums would come out. Wow, we that's got great. everything. That's so awesome. Blue the- Highway Records started coming in, Allison Krause and Union Station. And that was just like this portal into a whole new world that I wanted to have a tiny piece of. <laughs> yeah oh cool i just i listened to so much blue highway allison crossing union station and i really got into jd crow in the new south and the bluegrass album band um yeah that's like all that i wanted to listen to the lonesome river band was another um another, another one yeah they're great as well yeah so that was what i was into then and i couldn't get enough of it that's so cool Mm-hmm. So, uh, did, were there any are there any surprises in there that you would be like every now and again you would slip in like uh, fall down the rabbit hole of somebody else that's not bluegrass that somebody might be surprised that that you listen to? Oh, I mean, I listen to all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. I still do. Yeah, that's um, awesome. What do you listen to currently? Yeah. What's your current? What's your current? My current jam, yeah. honestly, is. Um, it's a it's a it's a mandolin instrumental record by Jacob Jolliffe. It's amazing. Uh, it's so good. Yeah. Like I can't even um, stop listening to it. Yeah, it's, that it's good. ridiculous. And, and and again, talk about another awesome guy. He's going to be on as well uh, here in a few weeks. So. Oh, cool! Yeah, cool. he's. Um, I look forward to hearing that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I um I've taken some lessons from him online, and um, oh, cool. she when they were in town, not this last time I was in Ireland, but the time before that, um, we went out to dinner and hung out. And what a nice dude, man! Just yeah, just so cool. And uh, yeah, yep. that's a great album. It's awesome. So I've been listening to that a ton. What else have I been listening to? I pull up my i really can't stop i can't stop listening to that album and that's how i am with music my music and acoustic music has changed a ton over the years right um i've really just gotten into sam bush as a hero um the best there's yeah (laughs) yeah he um yeah he's the best i want to be like him yeah me too me too there's um there's a fiddle record, a classical violinist um, player that I that I wasn't hip to until the last year or so, John LaPonte. Uh, I don't know how I got, I don't know how I, maybe from a Sam Bush interview or something, but I've listened, been listening to some of his stuff lately, and hearing the influence that he had on Sam's fiddle playing and tones and stuff. And yeah, that's awesome. Finding, finding that pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So then you decide you want to make music your living. So you're in South Carolina. What are the steps that you take to, to, uh, you know, you start a, you start a band do you join a band how does that how does that work out well i joined a band and there wasn't like a moment when i like decided like i'm gonna do this Mm -hmm. i was 
I was a very, like, I don't know. I wasn't a great student um, in high school. And I don't know, I just conforming to the curriculum and the public school was tough for me. Yeah. And I Man, struggled. Some people are not test to- people, I'm telling you. There's, <laughs> I, I don't think tests are the best way necessarily to... Uh, to um, not everybody's a test person, you know? It's, They're not. And it's like not this one size fits all exactly. that everyone can excel. Right. I remember so, a math teacher telling me, what are you going to walk around with a, a calculator in your pocket? And I wish I could see him now and be like, dude, <laughs> you see this thing? <laughs> That's amazing. Like if you're good at using the calculator, why not use it? Right. Exactly. Like. Come on. Yeah, you're telling me the NASA guys are doing math in their head when they're shooting people to space? I'm pretty sure they got calculators in their pockets. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so that was tough for me, and I really struggled and had no desire to go to college after high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and was just trying to figure out what to do. And I got a phone call from actually a friend in Charleston who had a band. I think I had, I think maybe... I had either subbed with his band or he had subbed with a band that I was playing with in my hometown or something like that. But I got a call to play a weekend of shows in Charleston, South Carolina with this, with the band common ground. Um, okay. And I, I went down and played the shows um, with them and had fun and made decent money. And (laughs) it's like, Oh, this is cool. I hope I get the call to do this again. And I did, and I eventually ended up moving to Charleston when I was 18 years old. Oh, nice. I played with, with Common Ground for a few years and sort of um, just getting an idea of what it would be like to, to play in a band that plays um, a lot and make, you know, make my money from doing that, make my living right. from that. But then eventually, after a few years, I... Um, I Nashville was calling my name, so mm. I wanted to move here and tour and play and play at festivals and theaters and such, because that was always a big part of what I wanted to do. I wanted to play for an audience that was more captivated by what we were doing than sort of just wallpaper for the yeah. party asking, or whatever was going on. Overhearing blue cheese or ranch for the wings. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was my like Charleston and playing with Common Graham was like a it was a good um, it was a good stepping stone for me as a musician and as a professional before I moved to Nashville because I learned a lot about what it takes to put on a show at at a local level, mm-hmm. but at a at a smaller level before I got on a bigger stage sure. I learned um, just a lot. Um, I don't. I don't know if it would make sense to go into it, but I just, it was a good setup for me before moving to here to have the knowledge of, okay, we have to show up and we have to do our sound check and we have to make sure we have this, this, and this to put on the show. Right, right. Money and et cetera. So, and we made a couple of records. I made a couple of records with Common Ground too. So I had some reporting experience by the time I came to Nashville. Oh, nice. And then I moved to Nashville, uh, which is, was always a dream. And, I started playing with bands here and touring on the festival circuit just as a side woman. Um, and I got my first session gig, um, which it would be like getting a call to record on someone else's album, mm-hmm. making, making a little money from that. So that was, that was another boost. I, yeah. I did my first tour out of the country in the first few years that I was here. And um, I was just also getting all of this experience but also still trying to figure out what i'm doing and how to make it work and how to be satisfied as an artist yeah Uh, did you know Um, somebody in nashville before you moved there did you did you just kind of roll the dice i knew a couple of people and i had a boyfriend at the time that lived here so that made it yeah that helps more of an incentive yeah so what was so, the, what was the first record? Do you remember what the first record that you did a session on that that was released? Yeah, it was John Weisberger. Oh no! Um, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it was the title track, and I can't remember the name. I would have to go look. I, I can't remember the name of the. Oh, I can't think of it right now. But it was John Weisberger, um, who has since become just a great friend and um, 
but he called me for my first session and ended up it, the song I played on ended up being the title track of the album. Cool. Yeah. And I met a lot of people through John actually. And yeah, he's great. I think he's up for mentor of the year this year at the IBMA. Oh, no kidding. So much sense. Oh man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So yeah. Yeah. So, so you, get to, you get to Nashville, you're touring, and then you, you... Yeah, I'm touring. I'm getting some experience with sessions and meeting people and um, traveling a bit. And then come our, it, it, fast forward a little, a few years to 2008. Mm-hmm. I had been touring as a side woman um, in a pretty successful, in a very successful band. I was with the Bradley Walker Band for two years. Um and there was there was there was just a lull in the schedule. It was 2008. We were coming up on the holidays, and I decided to move back home for to take a break. And I moved home for about six months, mm-hmm. back home to South Carolina. And I reflected for those six months and tried to figure out my next step. And tried to figure out like okay, I'm side, side womaning in a band and, and I'm, you know, we're not making records. I'm just out and I'm touring and I'm not playing my own music or having even a say in the arrangements or anything. So that was bumming me out, but I, I still at the time didn't really know how to do it, how to have my own band. And I think a lot of people can relate sure. and a lot of artists can relate. So like, how do you take that leap of faith? How do you, how do you say I have my own band? And some people get there faster than others, but I think people can relate to that because I see it every day. Oh man, it's people for sure. That are capable of it, but they wait, you know? Yeah. And it's also so anyway. dealing with musicians could be, I mean, as, as both of us being musicians, I mean, you can, you can meet some strange cats, <laughs> you know what I mean? When, yeah, you're, when like, you're in charge of making sure some of these people have to be there on time and uh, with the right stuff. And you know, I'm always, you know, I'm fortunate oh now that I play with a bunch of great players, but I mean, just in the course of all the years I played, I'm always, you know, I was always surprised. Like, have you done this before? <laughs> you bring you bring an instrument? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Like, so you need to borrow a pick? Really? <laughs> yeah, right. What? A tuner? You don't have a tuner? Yeah. Okay. But you do want to do this professionally. Right. right. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so I moved back home from Nashville and just tried to figure my try still trying to figure my stuff out. Um, and I ended up from there, I ended up moving to Johnson City, Tennessee for a brief moment. Still wasn't playing in bands. I was subbing with bands, side side manning with bands. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got a call from a friend who was friends with Della May. This at the time, it was this new group of women that were starting a band in Boston and my friend called me and said I think you should be in this band I think that you should come up to Boston and and play in this in this band and I was working in a stupid job in Johnson City Tennessee and, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like sitting at my desk and looking up Della May on YouTube and and be like Oh, this is this is cool. They sound great, and you know they all look about my age. They're women, <laughs> yeah. cool. That was perfect. Yeah. Wow. So I, so my friend who calls me and tells me about the band. I think the first time I looked up Della May, there was no like there there wasn't mention of me playing with them. It was just me catching up with a friend who's like excited about Della May and mm-hmm. saying. There's this band in Boston. They're so awesome. Blah, 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 blah. And I looked them up and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. And then I go back to my stupid job where my <laughs> boss is yelling at me for the stupidest stuff all the time. Miserable. But not still not thinking. Like, I wasn't in my mind. I wasn't even on my radar to, like, think that I would go up to Boston and join this band. But then my friend, same friend calls me back a couple months later to say, I think you should join LMA. They're, you know, they're, they're going to book a few gigs this summer and they need a mandolin player. And I think you should, you should come up and play with them and just see how it goes. 
And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, what else? You know, yeah. what else am I going to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was, at the time, I wasn't playing with a band. I was going to a lot to see a lot of shows, which was a great experience for me at that time. Um, but so anyway, fast forward, I, I, the Dellas and I at the time split a plane ticket. I flew up to Boston and we ended up playing together. It wasn't really an audition. It was more of a jam session that was, it was an audition masked as a jam session. (laughs) Sure. That went really well. And by the end of it, I flew home and packed my stuff up. And not long after I moved to Boston on a whim with the idea that I would stay there for the summer and play a few gigs and see how it goes. And I ended up staying in Boston for three years, making some of the best friends of my life. Oh, that's awesome. Making a couple of records. And almost 10 years later, I'm still with Della May. We're on our fifth album that's coming out on Rounder Records. And that's we have a so Grammy great. nomination. We've been to over 30 countries together. We're like family at this point. And you guys just put out the Butcher Shop EP, which is because you guys took a little bit. You took a little bit of time off from Della May, right? Ever you did your solo record? Looks like some yep. uh, and some of the other ladies did some other things, and then you guys put this Butcher Shop EP out. And yep. when I listened to it, the, my first thought was, "Well, these guys are these these guys feel I, they feel like they got back together and are about to prove something because it is yeah. killer." And I, I mean, I, just everything about it is just like every break on it, all the vocals, the harmonies. It just sounds like you're like, yeah, we took some time off and we're ready to come back and and just crush it. And um, yeah. and what I really love, too, is I, I really think you're playing on this EP, especially um, the solo on like Bourbon Hound sounds like a bunch of all your influences that to me, which it makes total sense that you are a Sam Bush fan because there are such Sam isms in that solo <laughs> that you absolutely nail for like the octaves and the real quick picking. But it even starts out a little bit um, more traditional sounding to me anyway. So. What a great album and and (laughs) just great playing on it as well. Thanks. Yeah, we were so pumped. Uh, You you can feel it. I really think so. (laughs) There was this energy that, and it it just came together. Yeah. That's great. There was definitely a a buzz. And then we recorded another album. Um, A few months ago, we recorded another album in Nashville that will be out next year. Great. That's um, oh, I can't wait to hear it. So you, so you were nominated for a Grammy. Did you go to the Grammys? I did, yeah. Oh my gosh! So how was that? Awesome. <laughs> I can't. It was imagine. awesome. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah, it was so fun. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's the best. And then you've also uh-huh. played the Ryman Auditorium, correct? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, we had our our Opry debut was Opry at the Ryman. So wow. they sometimes do the show there. So our Grand Ole Opry Day view is on the Ryman Auditorium stage on my birthday. Oh my gosh. That's the, oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. So what was that like being such a, a you know, a bluegrass it fan? It was amazing. To... Yeah. Do you remember I mean, like, hard, were you, was it a blur? It's kind of a blur. We did the Bluegrass Nights at the Ryman with the Steel Drivers. So it was Della May and the Steel Drivers. Oh wow, and cool. We came back out and had both bands on stage for the closer. It was a sold-out crowd. I'll never forget it. It was amazing. But the thing about playing the Ryman or the Opry is you do it once and you just want to do it again and again and again. And again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a good problem to have, though. <laughs> yeah, and I think they should have us back because this year's lineup for Bluegrass Nights on the Ryman had no women on it. Yeah, so here's... This leads to a question. I'm glad you said this because I wasn't sure if I should say anything or not. But b- b- bluegrasses, there's a lot of guys 
Uh, but I guess probably yeah, music in general. Still male dominated. Yeah, yeah. So was there as as being an all female band again? Like the community is is great, but it's it you know it, did you experience any things where you where you felt like you had to be like oh well we've got even more to prove because you know oh yeah I bet absolutely so how how do you approach that how do you well in our contract early on we put in the contract that we're not to be introduced on stage as the beautiful women of Delamay. Yeah, good for yeah, good for you, man. That's And that what is... else? I think we've Yeah. So did that happen? Did that get put in the contract because somebody did that? Many times, oh, many my times. Oh gosh. The beautiful ladies of Delamay, welcome to the stage. Uh There was even one time where we were introduced as the real housewives of bluegrass. No way. And I was just like, it was such a backhanded thing for me because I've sacrificed being at home to be on the road over 200 days a year. Like, uh, come on, dude. Really? Wow. So, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, Should don't have. say stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Have. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Well, you're, uh, you know, I'm guessing that person hadn't played the Ryman. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or, yeah, or been I mean, nominated been for a, with... nominated for a Grammy. Thank you. Yeah, There's abs- so many things that he could have said. Like instead, he said the Real Housewives of Bluegrass. Ugh. Thanks, Bud. Gross. Yeah, <laughs> so... but yeah, just like there's always stuff like that, and even now there are instances where we don't get booked if another girl band is booked. So, like for example. Della May has never played a, a, the same day at a festival as the First Ladies of Bluegrass. Really? But yet, how many boy bands are listed? Sure. It's like, oh, well, we've already got our girl band, so we can't have two. Oh, my gosh. So that's extremely frustrating. Same with I'm With Her. I don't think we've played the same festival at the same day at a festival with I'm With Her, but yet we've been at the on the same bill as so many of boy bands and yeah, and it's weird because, I mean, the crowds at these festivals are really, I mean, they're definitely a random amount of people. It's definitely not just guys going to these shows either. It's it's, yeah, men, it's and, men and women at all these festivals. Yeah, it's, it's, and I don't get it's me pretty wrong. 50-50. I, yeah, 100%. And don't get me wrong. I love the Del McCurry Band, the Sam Bush Band, the Steve Canyon Rangers, oh, yeah. Billy Strings, all these bands. I want to see them too, but I I consider Della May to be we've played we play on the same bill with these guys and i consider our band and the first ladies and another band that have women bands that have women to be why can't we but be on the same bill sure if if you know if you book sam bush band and steve canyon rangers on the same day why not have two other bands that are chock full of women absolutely on the same day? yeah you might be surprised so, at how well tickets sell yeah, so that's the goal and the challenge right now is to just sort of not be like to get it out of promoters' minds that oh we've already got a band of all women we can't have another one yeah. whenever it happens all the time with guy bands right right so, jeez so uh, so well, there are challenges yeah obviously. well Ch- challenges I, it, well I have a feeling hopefully we'll see a change in that because you guys are so good it's it's just you know matter of time hopefully for that stuff to turn around for you get you on some of those yeah i mean get you on some of those festivals absolutely and since we have started our bands there have been so many more women i think that are playing now which is cool and there are girls that came up to our record table when they were 10 years old that now they're 18 years old and they've started bands of their own Um, yeah it's awesome yeah so yeah, that's amazing. Things are happening. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I have to share this story. Yeah, it's please really do. Funny, and I think you'll appreciate it. We had a review once uh, for singing for the song "Big Spike Hammer." We did the we covered "Big Spike Hammer" at a festival, mm-hmm. and we sang it in E, the key of E, instead of B flat. And someone wrote about us that oh Della May is great but they sang Big Spike Hammer in the key of E and not the <laughs> traditional key. Uh, <laughs> and oh no. It's just like we're not men. We don't have these low voices. We are women. So 
because we're women, we're automatically not a traditional bluegrass band. Right, right. So, oh anyway. my gosh, that is that's ridiculous. Uh, More food for thought. Yeah, so absolutely. <laughs> Although, you know, maybe hopefully, maybe even Bill Monroe ran into that when he was playing songs in B and they were like, whoa, what a B. What you, what, yeah, well, what? that's a that's a pretty high key there, fella. <laughs> that's really high and lonesome. Yeah, let's just do G and just stick with the open chords. <laughs> so let's totally. go. Let's go back just a little bit to when you um, uh, just to go into like some technique and some learning things. Um, so maybe people can get an idea of how you work on tunes and what are some of the ways that you go about. Like for instance, the solo for um for bourbon hound is that something that you just did on the fly or was that something you had had an idea of that developed yeah let's talk about that, that how did how that develop because that's it's it's a phenomenal solo thank you um and by the way if you would have said think, you just improvised it one take i probably would have stopped playing mandolin i probably would have put it <laughs> i would have put my mandolin online i would have been like oh my gosh <laughs> one take <laughs> i'm done <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that develops. That totally developed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it started out the 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 overall vibe of it and the melody is came like early. Mm-hmm. So that pretty much came like the first couple times we played it. But like the intro with the more traditional start. But right. then as we played it more, it was such a it's it is in the key. The song is in the key of B. Mm-hmm. So you really want to nail that B. It's hard to play a B on the mandolin. It really it really is. <laughs> so I I played it a couple times live and realized like I'm not really getting the reaction that I want from this. I mm-hmm. need to go back to this and beef it up a bit. And so at the time I've been working the last few years I've been working on more octave stuff. You mentioned that mm-hmm. I wanted to incorporate it and. Um, the triplet stuff came from an old um, Newgrass Revival recording that I listened to. On yeah. The song White Freightliner. They covered. working on around the same time I had been learning some of that stuff Mm -hmm. and I just hey let me try this here and see how it works and I instantly started getting a better reaction crowd reaction and it just made more sense because it is a instrument showcase song and we're all showing off a little bit so I figured now is as good a time as this <laughs> play. Yeah, to just go a little, go for it a little bit. Yeah, well, mission accomplished because it's a, it's a killer solo. Um, so when you go, when you're learning stuff, so you're saying you were working on some things. What's, what's your approach for like learning? Let's say like White Freylander by Newgrass Revival. Do you sit down? Do you write it out, or do you sit down and play along with it? Or I sit down and play along with it. Mm-hmm. And I used to get hung up on. Um, I, I used to get hung up a bit if I tried to play some to, to um, copy a solo. To, uh, I would I would get hung up on it if it wasn't exactly like the tone and the timbre. And everything wasn't exactly like what I was trying to replicate. But right. now, but now I don't. I try not to get hung up and take bits and pieces from what I like and what I can execute at the time that I have to work on it. Sure. Absolutely. It's nice to hear you say tone, like working on tone. I think a lot of people get so caught up on learning the notes and like, Oh, Uh I need to, I need to play these fast parts. But the people who play those fast parts, the people that you you go back and listen to it again and again, are the people who nail the tone of it and it's clean and sounds, sounds great. Not just like a flurry of, you know, just fretted out notes. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yep. So, so that I usually um, try to transcribe by ear, and sometimes I will write out the the chords, just so that when I'm improvising over the chords, I'll know exactly what chords to play over. Yeah, that so helps when, me. So when you're going to um for somebody who's listening to this, because again, one of the things I want to get is people of like everybody starts somewhere. Like Jenny Lynn started, you know, at five years old. And then eight years old, you know, picking out melodies and, and now you've gotten to where you are, but you started somewhere. And I think people get, you know, like 
uh, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get good. Frustrated. So, yeah, so, I feel that way. <laughs> yeah, me too, me too. And and I think a lot of people don't realize that. So when you say like soloing over the chords, like how would you approach, you know, something like that? Yeah. So know the changes. I think, I think for me, it's knowing the changes, mm-hmm. and then having some scale patterns that that you that you memorize and that you can remember to play over the changes. Right, right. So if the song is G, C, and D, have a couple different scale patterns worked out um, over those chords and really know your changes. Yeah, and that's a big thing. I don't think people, again, you know, like it's, it's if you just want to play a G major scale over the whole thing, that's, I mean, that's completely fine. But if you want to try to make it sound a little bit different or a little bit more musical, it's nice to be able to have that. To know yeah. that you can play some different notes over the C chord and you can play some different notes over the D chord that really, it's all, all of a sudden, even if they're simple notes, even if they're just, you know, little target notes, you're yeah. like, your solo suddenly sounds way better than if you would have just blazed a G major scale the whole yeah, time. Yeah, to- totally. And learn the modes, you know, study, start studying, studying modes, which I still work on. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I yeah, think we absolutely. all do. Yeah. You know? So if you had 10 minutes, and this is one of the things I like to ask every podcast, if you had 10 minutes today to focus on just one thing to help you become a little bit better, because I'm a firm believer in 10 minutes, even just 10 minutes of focus practice is better of an hour watching TV and just noodling. What would you, uh-huh. what is something that you would work on? I would turn the metronome, turn the metronome on mm-hmm. immediately. Probably some scale patterns. Um, today, if I were going to practice for 10 minutes, I would turn the metronome on. And I've been trying to work through solos for fiddle tunes and improvise over fiddle tunes. So I'll just, I'll just start there. Yeah. I'm turning the metronome on. I'm going very slowly. I'm working on my tone, my technique. I'm working on my, um, finger patterns. I'm trying to strengthen my hands so that I can play um, like my finger patterns can have more of a span than just the first three fingers. Cause I think of mandol- as mandolin players, I did this for a long time. I didn't use my pinky. Yeah, so I've been strength- same here. <laughs> I've been, yeah. I've been trying to, the last two years, maybe a little longer. I've really been focused on strengthening my hands and fingers. So I think just some scale patterns with the metronome on, um, Maybe a new fiddle tune. Yeah. Do you have um, one you're working with, on currently? With 10 minutes. Th- right now, what am I working on? I've been playing June Apple again a lot. I, get, oh. I was just in New York, and I got to to um, play with Michael Daves, who is a great guitar player that yeah, lives in New York City. So really? I got to play a couple shows with him last year, and I recorded um, an EP in Nashville with him, with his band. Um, oh, did you that really? Is n- uh-huh. It's not out yet. I don't know when or it, when it will come out but mm-hmm. um i was just in new york so i've been playing june apple quite a bit another song that i've been playing is lonesome moonlight moonlight waltz yeah another great one uh, lonesome moonlight waltz is great because it has all the double stops and for like strength training in my left hand um it's great and it has cool chord changes too so yeah that's great um, yeah it's funny I would but just... i'm just trying to slow it down and dissect it and really get the finger patterns um, to lay out beautifully. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. June apples one. I, um, I was in Ireland for a month and I went to a couple, played a couple like little bluegrass jams over there with the, uh, Dublin bluegrass society, Ooh. which was awesome. And June apple, I'd only played it probably a f- couple times that it come up of that was one that every time, like a couple weeks in a row, the mandolin players like, let's do June apple. It's such a fun song. And when yeah. I got back, one of the guys that I play with here, Brad, um, he's like, Hey, do you know June apple? I'm like, oddly enough and um so we've been playing it um cool. like every time we play together and uh, just man i love that song me that's too a great one. that's a great do you one. play it in a or do yes i play it in a cool yeah okay. how about how about you i've been playing it in b because the michael davis version he sings <laughs> he sings the the lyrics in b oh wow <laughs> oh my gosh so it's another good stretch on the left hand <laughs> man i bet well, maybe I need to yeah. just work on that to to get depressed yeah. and be like, uh, <laughs> just when I thought I had it down. <laughs> just when it I thought I had it down. You know, it's funny is um, one of the things I interviewed Tristan Scroggins a few weeks ago, and one of the things he was talking about for his ten minutes is taking a fiddle tune and just just playing it a half step 
a half step higher. So I, um, I'm starting like a little Patreon thing for like people if they want to go and subscribe and help support the website or the podcast, which is a plug, what I'm doing here. <laughs> um, one of the things I did is transcribe Salt Creek, played it, and then I transcribed it up half a step into oh, B cool. flat. And so, and, and it's just surprising, again, taking a song that you're so familiar with and that, you know, that one I was anyway, and then playing it in B flat, it's like, whoa, you, you, you lose all those open strings. Uh-huh. But you, when you, re, you get it and you're like, wow, it, what a, it's yeah. like pretty rewarding and you get that pinky working as well, which is always like a, a yeah, totally. A and then the next time someone calls like a, um, old home place or something in B flat, you're, you have more that tricks in your back pocket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you have like a favorite fiddle tune? Do you have one where you're always like, if you're like gonna just show off a little bit? Yeah. Um, I like Munro's Hornpipe a lot. Oh, that's a great one. And I like um, Leather Bridges. Yeah. Off the early, the, the uh, Sambus record, the mm-hmm. early Sambus. Um, What's that the... called? I'm bad with titles. Is it Late as Usual? It's called... Yes, that's it. Yeah. I was going to say Always Running Late. <laughs> <laughs> same, di- same difference. <laughs> yeah, Late as Usual. Yeah, I love that version. It's so good. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. A classic. Yeah. So when, you're, um, so when you're working on these tunes, how do you deal with frustration? <laughs> I'm just used to it at this point. Yeah, yeah. But what do you do to get through it? Because I think that's a, that's a big... I've just a, been digging in a little bit more. Yeah. Honestly, like, I've really actually... It's funny you ask that, because I've, I've just been leaning into the frustration a little bit more. Sure. That's Does that make sense? Yeah, well, yeah, explain a little bit more. Like, leaning into the frustration, this sounds, this sounds interesting. Yeah, so instead of get being frustrated and glazing over it, I've just been slowing down a bit mm-hmm. or just accepting it because some of the best players in the world don't let the frustration and the best entertainers also. Yeah. It seems like they don't let the frustration uh, get to them mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. Maybe they do, but it seems like they don't. But I've just been trying to lean into it and if if i used to if i was in a jam session or on stage and made a mistake Mm -hmm. it would really really get in my head and bum me out oh yeah you know but then then listen to some live recordings oh yeah yeah. this is some live record even like you know like the super pickers like that live at the birch mirror i'm not sure if i'm saying that right there's i mean again uh, i love that album but there's plenty of clams on that album and those guys are just going that's how you become a better player you go for it and and um when you hit it it's that magical thing of like yes all that work for two seconds of (laughs) two seconds of a lick that you've been working on but you get you know if you're just gonna not go for it every time and play it safe i don't think you're ever really gonna grow absolutely and that's the whole leaning in thing it's like okay i'm not gonna be afraid that i'm not gonna execute what i'm going for right now i'm gonna lean into it a bit i'm gonna take a breath and i'm gonna go for it that's yeah that's awesome you have to it's funny um the when i the first lesson i took with jake like you know he's a killer player and obviously just being intimidated is like because i'd never taken a music lesson i've been playing music all my life i'd never taken a lesson i'm like all right if i just really want to get better and i'm playing all these gigs the only way to get better is to maybe start taking some lessons from some killer players you know and oh my gosh i do the same thing yeah what a huge difference and one of the things is like yeah. like jake's like you know he's like okay i guess he could play fast you know he's yeah. like but let's let's yeah. slow it down and like one of the first one of the things he taught me was you know literally using a metronome as slow as like 40 bpm or 50 wow. bpm and just being yeah. like just go back and just it's harder to play it that slow than it is fast and you're surprised about just like how much i mean even the guys that we were playing that i play with you know sometimes five times a week you know, after a lesson or something, they'd be like, well, somebody's been practicing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It might, it, totally. it yeah, it might have been the same it. song we played a bunch of times, but just it seeps into your playing um, yeah. even without you noticing it. And you just have to be willing to sometimes you just have to slow it down and and yeah. be like, OK, this is what. And, and you like you said, you're surprised, like how many of these killer players and how many of these pros take that approach to things like, OK, it's not happening now. Let's take uh-huh. it back a step instead of jumping over it right away. Go back and see where it's falling apart and fix yep. it. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, it's awesome to yeah, hear. Yeah, and isn't it so rewarding, like, when you do feel that progress? Oh, it's, it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> it's even I better when that's... somebody recognizes it, too. Like, you know, like, sometimes yeah. you're playing and you're like, you're, in, you're like, nailed it. And then you just look over and you see somebody look at you like, ah. <laughs> I, I, I heard that. Because <laughs> yeah, also, we, yeah, because you also get the same look sometimes when you go for it and you fall over and you look over and they're just laughing like, hey, man, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, what's what's like next? Oh, wait, wait, before I say that, we have to do some nerdy talk. Let's do, do you mind talking gear real quick? Yeah. That's awesome. Because um, so I, when you play live, well, first off, let's go back. What What's your mandolin that you, uh, okay. your, your main axe? My main axe is a chestnut. It was from 1989. Uh, it was built in Conway, South Carolina. It's the mandolin that I first learned on. Oh, no way. mandolin That's that my a... dad bought and brought home. Get out so, of here, really? Yeah. <laughs> so the eight-year-old Jenny Lynn mandolin is still the one that's with you today? Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Wow. So I, also, I have a couple more. I have a few more killer mandolins. I have a daily F5. And the Randy Wood F5, and mm-hmm. I love those mandolins um, so much for so many reasons. But my main axe is my my first mandolin. That's so cool. <laughs> my, my chestnut, yeah, yeah. And I have a um, I plug in to play, so I have a K and K pickup, mm-hmm. and that I love. I think that I think this one's great on it. It I, has two. It has like a twin. I use the same. I use the same one. Don't you love it? I What's love that? it. And I get more comments from people saying it's the most natural sounding plugged in mandolin. So what do you plug yeah. it into? When you plug it in, do you, you have the, I think I saw a I video the, of you. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I use the Grace. Oh, yeah. DI. Which one? I use the Grace Bix. Oh, okay. Bix, just the single. Yeah. Um, And it has EQ and boost and gain and control. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use that. And then I have. I use a little bit of effects. I have a electroharmonic reverb and overdrive. Nice. Um, and I have what else do I have? I have a tubulator, which is like a really funny like eighties uh, distortion pedal. Oh no way, really? That I use just very subtly, and mostly I use it on my burn another candle stuff, just for a little bit of effect. Oh, cool. Um, I tried. My goal with my pedals is to to sneak it in without it being noticeable. It doesn't always happen. Sure, sure. Just in terms of how much time I have for sound check and whatnot. But um, yeah, the last couple of Delamay records, aside from Butcher Shop EP, the new record and my uh, and the Delamay self-titled record, I was using playing through an amp and using effects very subtly. So it's almost not noticeable. Oh, well, so what's an example of a song? So I'll try to dump that in the background here so people can hear it. What's... Rude Awakening. Okay. Well, it's yeah. a perfect, that seems like the perfect song to use some effects on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> perfect yeah. song title. Yeah. So the solo that I take in there is like, that's some of my favorite gritty, like, overdrive tones that I've recorded. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I just watched, do you ever watch the rig rundowns by chance on YouTube? No. Like a, so they had, most of the time it's just like electric guitar players, but they just did one with Billy Strings while he was at the rhyming. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. I did see it. Yeah. yeah. That's got that. Um, there's no, there's not a lot of subtlety in some of those effects, but man, I love it. Uh-uh. Yeah, uh uh. Yeah, I do too. Is just out there, and I just yeah. feel, he really does have a great way of like, you know, again, some people, it, however you feel about it, out there in the podcast world, effects versus you could go into a million things of that, um, how people feel about that, but he does do a really good job of when he builds it up, coming right back into the most traditional sounding thing. Yes. Of you know, it's like a lot of work, I'm sure, but man, he does. Oh it. my gosh, totally! It's, it's it's amazing the way that happens. Uh huh. I agree. So, so it, yeah. I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just just uh, gonna finish up talking gear for the as far as the pedals and stuff. I use a little pedal train on board that mm-hmm. I travel with, and I have the Grace. I've got a tuner from Diadario that lights up really well, so you can see it on dark when you're on stage. Oh yeah. And what else do I have? Oh, yeah, the reverb, overdrive, and distortion. Awesome. So those are my, yeah. That's great. So what kind of, what kind of uh, picks and strings? 
I use blue chip picks. I use the TD50. It's a teardrop shape, so oh, it has nice. a point. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I find that I can play faster with a point rather than like the, the um, wider picks. Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, they glide over the street, like the wider, the triangle picks catch a little more. So I recently went back to playing the teardrop shape and I can oh, no get a little more, I get more speed. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I use that pick. That's my main pick. And then my strings are Diodario flatwounds. Oh, wow. And I like them because they they're, they glide well. Mm-hmm. I used to always use Elixir strings for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they're they're very bright sounding. Yeah. And they ha- but they they're also very smooth and glidey. So they're instead of like a regular wound string, which sometimes I can feel it under my fingers. Um, just the woundness of the strings. I like the like glidey feel of flat wounds, and I like that they don't sound bright. And since I'm pl- they're not as loud as a bronze round bronze wound string, mm-hmm. but they when I plug in with them, it doesn't make a difference because I can get the volume that I need and I don't have to play hard on them. And I'm, I'm really, really super into the flat wound strings. I've never used them. My my problem is playing here in Charleston, the humidity. I have to use those coated strings because man, I'd be changing strings every day. You'd be changing strings constantly. I remember living in Charleston and breaking strings on every show. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just had it happen like two weeks ago. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, you gotta be kidding me, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but it's outdoors and yeah. And it was a pretty fresh set of strings. I guess every now and then you just get one. I also use, do you ever use that uh, fast fret that you rub on the, uh, um, yeah, I have in the past. Yeah. I love that stuff. Speaking of gliding over the strings, it's the, uh, yeah. I, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. So what? Yeah, you should try flat wound some. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna order maybe in the uh, winter. Oddly enough, I'll I just put in a. I've got a cart of strings on order on my phone here that I forgot to order last night. So I'll throw a set in because I need to need to get that free yeah. shipping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that'll that'll help me put it over the edge just to try them out. Cool. So what's the um what's what's next for you? Next, uh, more delamatory. Are you guys doing uh, any more? You, you you guys were out with Steve Martin and Martin Short. Correct. Yeah, yeah. We've played, I think, nine shows at this point with Steve Martin and Martin Short. That's awesome. All, all over the country, and then we have some more shows coming up with them in October. That has been so fun. I can't so imagine. So amazing. So inspiring. Yeah. Steve Martin is a great musician, and he has so much respect for musicians, and they're both so funny, and they work on their show they're really inspiring they work on their show before and after the show just constantly they're always honing their craft so it's been inspiring and so fun that's cool how did that come about the steep canyon rangers um recommended us for the gig oh they're friends of ours we've been friends with them for years and they um released a record this year and weren't able to play all of the dates with with Steve and Mark, and with they weren't able to play all the shows, so they recommended us for it. That is Thank you, great. Steve Canyon Rangers. Yeah, no kidding. That's so awesome. Well, congratulations yeah. on that. That's I can't even imagine Thank how rad so that would be. I love Steve Martin and Martin Shore, but yeah. Steve Martin is just yeah. so good. Yeah, they're they're so good, and they, like I said, they work on their they work on it constantly. So it was inspiring to see. I was expecting them to maybe. Just waltz in and have someone else sound check for them right. and be whisked away after the show. But they <laughs> are really just so involved and man, it's inspiring. So more Delamay shows coming up. We're going to the Northeast. Mm-hmm. I have a solo show coming up at the World Famous Station Inn on August 16th. Oh, cool. I love that place. Um, yeah. So I'm excited for everything we have coming up. We're releasing a CD next year. And uh, another solo right CD now. in the in, in the works for you, or you, or is that a little little ways out? I want to record another CD. Um, I don't have time right now, sure. so I guess it is a little a little ways out. Um, I'm not in a rush, but I definitely want to get it. I want to get it. I want to get back in the studio and record solo as soon as possible. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you got a mm-hmm. pretty pretty full plate. Any any plans on coming back to the, the Charleston area to play any gigs here? I think I saw the last time yeah. I saw you guys was at Owendot Green, oddly enough. Delamay. Yeah, it that's was been a few years. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. Um I I I anticipate being back in Charleston next year on our C D release tour. I awesome. think we're trying to 
I'm really pushing to play at the poor house. Oh yeah. I love the, I love the poor house. Poor so. house is awesome. Yeah. That's so, so great. Yeah. I, I hopefully schedule wise, we can be back in Charleston, um, in the first quarter of next year. I mean, August is a great time to play in Charleston. I'm just kidding. It's so, <laughs> it's so hot. We were talking before. I have a gig today. It was like 97 yesterday. I have a gig tonight outside. It's going to be a scorcher. Oh <laughs> yeah. But again, there's worse things. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, man, thank you so much for taking the time and doing this today. It's been great. Um, I, I know people are going to be excited to hear this, and they should check out Delamay, check out Jenny Lynn, go to all the websites. Um, and thank you so much. Thank you so much.